reading this morning, it's continuing with um, Mark, and it's chapter 5, starting at verse 21, and it's on page 1007. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. A dead girl and a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kuam, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. And in that passage, the story of the, the dead girl 
and the sick woman. Um, they are both occasions when we see Jesus is extremely compassionate towards people in need. In both these events, the one with Jairus' daughter and the woman who touched Jesus' robe, we have two people who are in situations which are completely outside of their control as human beings. There is nothing they can do about the situation that they're in. But they recognise that those situations are not outside of the control of Jesus. Death and some illnesses remind us often and sometimes cruelly that we are not the masters of our own destiny. We are not able to control everything, but we have our limitations. Jairus and this lady had realised that however impossible their situation was, it was not impossible for Jesus. And so yet again, Jesus is able to show who he is by what he does. But interestingly, even such miracles, such public displays of the miraculous, don't force or compel people to believe in him. Some still resist. But these two, Jairus and this lady, they had obviously seen and heard Jesus at work. After all, we know from what we've gone so far in Mark's Gospel that Jesus healed, well, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people even, so far in his ministry to this particular point in time. One of the very touching features of lumping these two people together is, I think, to show that Jesus appeals to such a wide range of people. Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's the, uh, the one, he's the, the head of the Council of Twelve who ran the synagogue. He has a high-status position in their society. The woman is unnamed. She is just one of the very ordinary people. One of the good things about the Christian church, and I think about our church, is it has such a range of people. For example, just think of uh, the different size houses people live in. Some live in large detached houses, others rent a room or two. Some people here sitting in front of me this morning have got PhDs. Some people probably only just managed to get a few CSEs when they were around many years ago. We have people here who have professional and managerial jobs and there are others who come at the other end of the command chain. But it's marvellous to think that all of you are equally valued by God and hopefully by each other because each has a unique contribution to make. Each is a human being. Each is a Christian. Each is valued the same. Like Jesus, we should be as concerned for the rich as for the poor, for the educated as the uneducated, for the weak as the powerful. 
And it's interesting here that Jesus confronted with the church leader in urgent need. I mean, his daughter is dying, takes time to comfort and to teach a woman who in their society would have been regarded unclean as an untouchable, who has a chronic need. I mean, she's had this for 12 years. It's hardly urgent. And yet he takes time out to deal with somebody who has a chronic need over somebody who has a very acute need. Well, the passage falls into um, three parts. You can kind of discern that from the, uh, the outline on the back of our song sheet this morning. Um, you find that helpful to follow. Well, Jairus comes to Jesus in daylight. Unlike other religious leaders like Nicodemus, who came to him in the middle of the night. He did not want to be seen approaching Jesus. Jairus comes and he falls in public in daylight at Jesus' feet. He comes in front of the crowd. He doesn't care about his social status, about his standing in the community, nor does he worry about what anybody higher up in the religious hierarchy his supervisors might think of him. His situation is desperate. His little girl is dying. It is not difficult to imagine how desperate he must have felt. He doesn't care about anything else. He just knows that Jesus can stop his little girl from dying. He's totally clear about this conviction that Jesus can do something about his daughter whose situation is otherwise going to be terminal. He is convinced that Jesus can do it and that no one else can. And this gives us a clear idea as to what faith is, doesn't it? If you ask what putting your trust in Jesus means, then this man believes and is a good example for us to follow. He has complete confidence in Jesus to do what no one else could do. He had seen him and heard him teach. He had seen him do these miracles. He had come to the conclusion this man must be from God if not God. He's seen him do it. He knows he could do it. He's begging him to do it for his daughter. He doesn't care what other people think. The crowd, who may be everything from kind of vehemently opposed, like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to those who are kind of just kind of sitting on the fence, they're not quite sure, to those who are kind of drawn but are not bold enough to go public about it, He's not worried what other religious leaders, even those above him, might think. He wholeheartedly acts upon his conviction. He knows Jesus can do it. If you want to be forgiven, if you want peace with God, if you want a place in heaven, then Jairus shows you the way to acquire it. This is a wholehearted abandonment of his life to Jesus. That's what's required and no holding back. He, has, he gives a clear public profession 
by what he does externally, we know what's going on internally in his mind. It's very easy to hold back, isn't it? And to think that somehow we can contribute something to our salvation. But we can't. It's very easy to be fearful about what friends and colleagues might think of us. But both those tendencies are less than wholehearted faith. Well, here's something to encourage us. How does Jesus respond to Jairus? Verse 24, so Jesus went with him. Jesus never rejects those who come to him to see that, uh, we see that in all his actions and we have it in his words. Take Matthew 11, for example, 28, page 977, if you want to look it up, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Or from John's Gospel, 6.35, 1070, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. No need to wonder what kind of reception that we're going to get from Jesus if we go to him with a desperate need. And he always responds to those who come to him in times of trouble. We can have confidence in him if we have contrition in ourselves. We have to bear that in mind. We have to recognize his authority. We have to recognize the way we fall short of the uh, display he has because he resists the proud, but he welcomes the humble. So the crowd follow him, and Jairus, uh, eager, no doubt, to see another miracle. But, 25 to 34, on the way, Jesus comes across this woman. She's uh, right at the other end of the social scale. She's not named. She is timid. In fact, With her condition, she'd have been barred from the synagogue as unclean. She has no status, no apparent wealth. What she's got, in common with Jairus though, is her faith in Jesus. This bleeding had gone on for 12 years, it's chronic. She spent all her money on doctors, but they've not been able to cure her. Uh, She's beyond help, in other words, but she believes she's not beyond the help that Jesus can give. Notice verse 27, which Mark tells us how she uh, was transformed from her situation of no hope. She heard about Jesus, then she must have believed that he could help her, And so he says she came to Jesus. In every other way she's different from Jairus, but in this way she is the same. She had heard Jesus, 
She believed Jesus could do what no one else could do, and she came to him. And that's just the same today. People hear about Jesus. They hear about him through people gossiping, I suppose, initially. Maybe the odd little article. I mean, I was just, uh, it's just interesting, uh, in the paper yesterday, there was um, an actress who's kind of moderately famous, and uh, the article is just how she spends her weekend with her family. But she did mention she went to church and where she went to church. And maybe little things like that just trigger people off thinking, oh, really? People hear. People start to explore. They read the accounts. They read helpful books. They come to realize that um, this guy's for real. It's true what he did. And they come to think, yeah, he is who he says he is. People assess. They believe. And then, of course, you have to act upon your conclusions. You have to act upon your beliefs. And that's what she does here. She comes to him. She's assessed the evidence. She knows he can do what no one else can do. She comes to him to acquire it. So she touched his cloak, the hem of it, the edge of it. It's not a mark of superstition. She isn't thinking there's something magical about his cloak. It's actually a mark of humility. She doesn't think she is worthy of him. She doesn't think that her kind of social standing, you know, is going to um, mean that she can talk to the kind of great visiting preacher, the great kind of ecclesiastical celebrity. She keeps her distance. And she just touches his cloak. She knows he can cure her. And her conclusion is justified because immediately she is cured. There have been lots of people, quite obviously, in contact with Jesus in this rather massive crowd, but she is the only one who profits by touching him. And he knows the difference. There are lots of people who were in contact with Jesus who didn't profit by him. Judas is the obvious example. He had proximity to Jesus, but he didn't benefit from it. And that's a warning, surely, to us who are church-going people, that we can be familiar with church and with Christian things and yet somehow not eternally profit from them. Well, Jesus knows something has happened here and he turns around and he wants to know who has touched him. The disciples are puzzled. What does he mean? You know, of course, there's loads of people have touched him. But Jesus knows someone's been cured and he keeps looking around. He's not after glory for himself. That's obvious from the last verse of the passage we've read. He told them all to keep it quiet once he kind of healed Jairus' daughter. No, he's doing it for her benefit, this lady. She must go public about it. He has no secret believers. He wants his followers to be out in the open. There is some strength in, as it were, coming out by declaring that we are Christians. 
not in a kind of aggressive, unduly assertive way, but just in a quiet confidence. Remember Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, once she's come to him, albeit trembling and fearful, and she falls at his feet and she tells him the whole story, I'm sure that emboldens her because Jesus says to her, your faith, your trust in me has meant you are now my daughter, which means she is a child of God. Her eternity is secured and her uncleanness is at an end. Jairus is one of life's confident people. This woman is one of life's timid people. But there's no excuse. Jesus wants the same for both. Faith in him and a faith that is public. No closet Christians. So do we have this wholehearted trust in Jesus? And are we uninhibited in our allegiance to him? Verses 35 to 43. Let's return now to Jairus. Mark doesn't tell us what Jairus must have felt with the news that the men brought of his daughter's death. You see, she died whilst Jesus had been dealing with this chronically ill lady who Jairus must have felt could have waited. Well, they tell him not to bother Jesus anymore. But Jesus ignores them. He rejects their assessment that there is nothing left for him to do. Instead he says, don't be afraid, but believe. In other words, death is not to be feared if you trust in me. All of us fear the possible process of dying. Some ways are degrading. But death itself for the Christian is to go to sleep and wake up with Jesus. So Jesus takes the, only the inner circle, Peter, James and John, and they go into the house with Jairus and his wife. Both the servants and the mourners are certain that the girl is dead. And so when Jesus says she's only asleep, of course they laugh at him, verse 40. I think this is going to be, this is his first raising of somebody from the dead. So you can quite honestly, you may have, they may have heard he's done lots of miracles, but this is the first raising from the dead. So he sends them out the room and they went, which is pretty amazing that they did so. But nothing compared to what the three disciples and her parents witness next. Jesus speaks to this inanimate corpse and the corpse hears him. Just as at the beginning of time God spoke and life came about. And she responds and they are completely astonished as you would expect them to be. 
Jesus is right to say that as long as he is present, death is not to be feared. That's the difference, you know, between a graveyard and a cemetery. A graveyard is a place of tombstones. A cemetery is literally a sleeping place. If Jesus is present in your life, then death is not the end. There is your soul going to be with Christ in heaven, and at the end of time, a resurrected body to live in a tangible earth and heaven together. So with these two miracles, the question forced upon the crowd again is, who is this man who can do such things? Who can do what nobody else can do? And if they do, as Peter did once in his lifetime, or at least once that's been recorded, of raising somebody from the dead, he does it in the name of this Jesus. Who is able to do such things? Well, once the speculation has ended, these two people, from widely differing backgrounds, give us model responses, don't they? Having heard, they believed. And having believed, they came to Jesus and asked him to do what no one else could do. And he responded to them in giving them life. And we today look at the evidence, assess it, is it true? Is Jesus God on earth then and God in heaven now? And we turn and we trust him and we receive forgiveness and life, eternal life, that begins now and will go on forever. It's a great little passage to use in our personal witnessing to people who ask us questions about the Christian faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the very simple truth that there is contained in this, these two very compassionate acts of Jesus. And we pray that we might uh, register the process of assessing the evidence, believing it to be true, coming to Jesus to do for us what no one else can do, which is ensure our sins are forgiven and to grant us eternal life. May you grant us opportunity to use this little passage in our Christian witness in the weeks ahead, we pray.